Straight Talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. And now, here is Walter Bingham. Hello and welcome. It's March 14, 2023, and in the Hebrew calendar, the 21st of Adar, 5783. I am Walter Bingham, delighted to be your host for this show that started as a live call-in show on this station many years ago. But technology progressed, and the podcast format makes it easier for listeners to hear the show at any time and anywhere. And that way we can also reach a wider audience. And the Walter Bingham file can now be found on many platforms. Today's program is very special in that it deals with just one item. Germany. And the feature interview is also very extensive and much longer than usual. So sit back and enjoy what's coming. Now to introduce today's personality in the series Talking Heads, I want to give this very brief background of what made my guest's country into what it is today, the Federal Republic of Germany and arguably the kingpin of Western Europe and one of the most powerful countries in the world. Germany lost the First World War, 1914-18, to and the peace treaty signed in a railway carriage in Versailles was a very harsh decree. Their post-war government, the Weimar Republic as it became, had great economic problems and difficulty to recover. There was a hyperinflation during 1923 when at one time the exchange rate was 1 trillion marks to 1 dollar. Large reparation payments and the dismantling of the heavy industry contributed to the high unemployment rate. 35 political parties registered for the parliamentary elections, but the Germans were not interested in their political isms. The population was only interested in work and bread. That was the promise of Hitler, Yamaximoyer, and his National Socialist German Workers' Party, which brought him to power on the 30th of January 1933. He immediately burned down the Reichstag building, the parliament, soon thereafter disbanded that forum and successively assumed dictatorial powers. The aim of his government was to subjugate the whole of Europe by force to serve the German master race. To achieve that, he started World War II, After some initial successes, the Allies consisting of Russia, the United Kingdom, the member states of the British Empire and the United States of America brought Germany to its knees. During the period of the war, the ingrained German anti-Semitism culminated in the Holocaust, the murder of six million Jews, including an estimated one and a half million Jewish children as well as large numbers of homosexuals, communists and others designated as being detrimental to the Aryan race. An important section of the perpetrators was the German railway system that profited financially and without which the transport to concentration camps could not have been accomplished. War crimes on an industrial scale. 
It was the darkest period in German history, and remnants of that ideology are still very much in evidence. Since the end of World War II, Germany has been reconstituted into a modern parliamentary democratic republic. As someone recently wrote, Germany has shown that acknowledging the unalterable past has not inhibited their capacity to shape the future. Today, the country is headed by a ceremonial president, Frank-Walter Steinmeier, a career politician and former minister, and by the Chancellor, Olaf Scholz, of the Social Democrat Party, equivalent to Prime Minister. Germany is much in the news these days, firstly for its military strength, warfare is continually changing with nuclear weapons the ultimate threat, and ever since World War I, when soldiers fought each other with bayonets, the weapons have changed from shooting cannon shells and rifle bullets to precision rockets and drones, known as UAVs, unmanned aerial vehicles. Today, the Russian attack on the Ukraine is not as successful on the terrestrial battlefield as they expected. They have therefore changed their strategy to the use of precision-guided kamikaze UAVs that invariably reach and destroy the intended target and cause much peripheral damage. Israel is a leader in drone technology and has extensive experience in the deployment of these weapons. That's why several groups of German pilots are being trained here in the general use of UAVs and now also how to operate the new version of the Heron TP drone that Germany obtained from Israel's aerospace industries. The program is scheduled to last until 2027. Having regard to the recent German history, this military cooperation with Israel on many levels is particularly significant. Another reason why Germany is much in the news is because among European countries they are today arguably the most active in trying to combat antisemitism both by legislation as well as by security measures. But there have also been disturbing reports not only about historical revisionism, which is rife, and its distortions. <clears throat> but there have also been disturbing reports not only about historical revisionism, and its distortions are covertly spread, but also about physical attacks on Jews and Jewish property and on Jewish students in universities. To discuss these and other matters with me, it is my pleasure to welcome to the Walterswald Studio the German Ambassador to Israel, His Excellency Mr. Stefan Seibert. Thank you, sir, for coming all the way to Jerusalem. Well, thank you very much for having me here. Of course, if Germany had relocated its embassy to our capital city where it belongs, you wouldn't have had to travel. Though I believe that this is your first ambassadorial appointment, you are, of course, no stranger to German diplomacy, having been Chancellor Angela Merkel's spokesman for how many years? For 11 and a half years, from oh. 2010 to the end of 2021. So I know that I am facing a diplomat who had some very good schooling. As I've been born in Germany, I have a special affinity with the country not in any political way, but rather with its high cultural history, some of which unfortunately went on the bonfire, 
1933, but that's another story. I want to begin with a question that arises from the series of catastrophic earthquakes that befell Turkey and Syria. At times like this, we put aside our political differences and think of the tens of thousands of lives that were lost and the many thousands made homeless. That will inevitably create another refugee problem. Germany is already saturated with illegal immigrants and suffering a drain on its economy. And now you may be called upon to accept great numbers from this earthquake. Can German economy cope? Well, first of all, the earthquake in Turkey and Syria was a terrible disaster, and our hearts go out to the people affected in both countries. I think it was admirable how fast and and determined the Israeli reaction was. I was very happy to see Israel deploy very quickly personnel, aid, and humanitarian deliveries to Turkey, and I only wish that it would have been equally possible to help the people in Syria. Mr. Assad's dictatorial regime there, it was much more difficult. Germany has taken in many refugees from 2014 to 2016 from war-ravaged Syria. There's roughly a million Syrians in Germany. They're by no means illegal immigrants. They now make their lives in Germany. Many of them work and pay taxes, go to universities. This is not something we have to in any way regret. On the contrary, I don't want to speculate on what would happen after another earthquake. The emphasis must always be on helping the people reconstruct their lives where they are. And I think most people prefer to live in their homes, close to their own culture. The people from Syria came because they were persecuted and they fled from a country at war. This is not the situation (laughs) in Turkey right now. Israel is, of course, situated on the border between the African and Arabian tectonic plates, which form part of the Great Rift Valley. Seismologists believe that our whole area is due for another major earthquake. Your country should make sure that all precautions are taken. The Israeli awareness is now even more acute than it was before. Now from doom and gloom, just for a few moments, to the brighter side of life. The big sporting event some time ago was, of course, the Football World Cup. Are you a football fan? Yeah. Bayern Munich, because you were born there? Yeah, I was born there, but I didn't live there for very long. My parents were fairly nomadic. So I would say Eintracht Frankfurt. What do you think of the German team? Will they perform better in 2026? I can only hope so, because (laughs) they performed very poorly this time. And football is cyclical. If you're lucky, you have great triumphs, and we were world champions in 2014. I was lucky enough to be in the stadium in Rio de Janeiro. So if you're lucky enough, you go to great height, but we're in a very, very dry time right now, which gives me the optimism that it'll go up from here. Of course, at my advanced age, the only way that I can participate in sports is as a spectator. And I enjoy football. Do your diplomatic tasks afford you the opportunity to play any sport or to work out? I'm a very lazy person. I know I should, but I don't. I always prefer to stay in bed in the mornings. I play tennis from time to time. I go swimming from time to time. And that's about it. Tennis will get you to a ripe old age. It should. Getting exceptionally old has advantages and disadvantages, one of which is that the mind is willing, but the body does not always cooperate. On the other hand, one experiences many changes in the world, and I've already touched on German history in my introduction. 
Technology has shrunk the world and events, even in distant places, affect us all. As a Jew, I am particularly disturbed by the rise in anti-Semitism. I know that among European countries, Germany is arguably the most active in trying to combat that scourge, both by legislation and security measures. In fact, recently the German government approved its first ever program of national strategy, exclusively designed to fight anti-Semitism and to promote Jewish life. The government stated that it also sees it as a threat to the basic principle of diplomacy. It was initiated by Germany's Commissioner for Antisemitism and Jewish Life, Felix Klein, and is accepted as an important concept within German government policy. These are commendable words, but what will be the practical application of this new strategy? How will it help to even minimize the historical revisionism that is rife in Germany and the distortions that are not only covertly but even overtly spread? Well, first of all, you're right. Anti-Semitism exists in Germany as it exists in many other countries. And of course, when it exists in Germany, I find it even more abhorrent, even more repulsive, because Germany was, after all, the country where the hate-filled Nazi ideology started, where the whole evil plan to wipe out the Jewish people was designed and from where it was executed. So we, more than any other people, ought to be immune against anti-Semitism. And it's painful for me to say that apparently not all of us are. I wouldn't want to give out the idea that Germany is in any way an anti-Semitic country or a country where anti-Semitism is tolerated. Yes, we do have anti-Semites, neo-Nazis, we have people who are utterly xenophobic and all that. But this is not the majority of the people. This is not the political mood in the country as a whole. And wherever this happens, it meets with very resolute resistance by the vast majority of the people. According to a report some time ago, a national study conducted by the Schoen Kuperman Research revealed significant gaps in Holocaust knowledge and awareness in the Netherlands, where nearly 25% of millennials and Generation Z, those born between 1990 and 2010, mm. that the Holocaust is a myth. Now, that raises concerns that Holocaust denial and distortion are a wider problem. I've read that poll as well, and I thought those were shocking figures. I would hope that if you made the same poll in Germany, the numbers would be considerably less high, because the story of the history of National Socialism, the story of the Holocaust, the Shoah, is so much part of every German schoolboy and schoolgirl's upbringing. This is really dealt with very thoroughly in German schools. This is a part of the curriculum. So I would hope that everybody should have the knowledge about the facts of what really happened. Also, nearly all German pupils in the course of their time at school go to at least one former concentration camp, memorial site, or place like that. My three children all went. It is an ongoing battle to making sure that the information about the historical truth is given to every child that grows up in Germany. I understand that, Ambassador, but there is no shortage of examples where you're failing. 
the commissioner appointed to fight anti-Semitism in Schleswig-Holstein, the former Lutheran bishop Gerhard Ulrich, whose sermons contained anti-Semitism and hatred of Israel cloaked in Christian teaching. He put the blame of the Middle East conflict on Israel, claiming the name Israel burdened with the horror and misery of the Middle East. I could also tell you about the commissioner for Bavaria, Ludwig Spendler. In fact, Baden-Württemberg is another example of that failure. So you have commissioners who themselves have anti-Semitic tendencies. I don't know the Schleswig-Holstein case, and I am not aware of the, the quote you gave me. I have to take it and look into it. A country of 83 million people, yes, we have anti-Semites. We have people who criticize Israel, and this is not necessarily the same thing. And we have people who criticize Israel in an anti-Semitic way. I would not want to make a statement on the quotes that you've just presented me with, because I'd really have to look into these cases. It is not what the vast majority of people believe in. But there is anti-Semitism sometimes in the art, in politics, and we have to call it what it is. We have to stand up to it, and we have to make sure it doesn't spread. But these, these, are, officials, this these, these are officials who have been installed in a job to fight anti-Semitism, and they spout anti-Semitic comments. Isn't it all influenced by your government's declared policy on the Palestinian Arab claim? You have on the one hand that, and on the other hand you have the national strategy. How will you be able to separate those two topics? First of all, Germany has a declared policy of standing by the state of Israel. The security of Israel is part of our raison d'etat. This is undisputed by all democratic parties in the Bundestag. There is a great continuity between one German government and the next. This is what we all believe in and on which we all act. The same thing goes for our fight against anti-Semitism. And of course, these issues are linked. The fight against anti-Semitism is never fully won. You have to keep fighting anti-Semitism because it keeps reappearing. Now, you're bringing in the fact that for us, when we look at the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, we also see that there is a case for a Palestinian state entity, that there should be two states coexisting mm. side by side. I do not see anything anti-Semitic no. in this. I see this as a need born out of historical necessity. I'm coming to that. I would like to keep this very much apart. You mix it up with the anti-Semitism. We already talked about immigrants, and mainly from Muslim countries. Unlike Jewish immigration, I think it's fair to say that Muslims have a tendency to try and impose their lifestyle and political views on their hosts. Their places of worship provides ideal venues to strengthen their already held hatred of Israel and for the dissemination of anti-Semitism. And like all other European countries, Germany did not foresee these consequences, I believe. Only very drastic measures could change that situation, and I don't see that happening in Germany. Well, first of all, Germany is a country where the constitution guarantees the free worship of every religion. So everybody in Germany has the right religion to freely practice his or her faith. And that is how it should be. When you have large numbers of Muslims living in your country, and most of them live in our country as Germans, many of them were already born in Germany, then, of course, they have the same right to having a mosque 
as Christians have a right to having... But they're preaching hatred. I'm sorry, but this is a very generalized statement you're making, and I will not go along with that. Yes, there are problems with Islamist, extremist hate preachers, and this is something we have to address. But to accuse every mosque, every, every Muslim in Germany, and there are millions of them, of falling victim to this hatred. God I'm forbid, sorry, is, God I'm, forbid. I'm, that's not I, what I'm suggesting. Then let me just say, the Muslims are now a part of Germany, so is their faith, as are all other faiths that are being practiced in Germany. But, and this is important, we all live under the Constitution, the rule of law, and that does not allow for any faith to be extremist or to be intolerant. This is, I think, what we must aspire for in Germany. Most in Germany, in fact, these days do not belong to any church anymore. The majority is not member of a Christian church. We're becoming a very, very secular country. And this is me talking as a Catholic. Facts. I'm almost coming to the end of that particular subject, but we hear almost daily about physical attacks on Jews and Jewish property and places of worship. How can it be stopped? Anytime I hear of a synagogue being attacked or a kippah wearing Jew being attacked, it is really painful for me. How can it be stopped? First of all, by the police doing their job and investigating these cases, bringing the people to justice. Secondly, by prevention. More than anything else, it's about education. We must all learn to be respectful and tolerant of one another, to harass or hassle someone who's visibly Jewish. This is totally unacceptable. It is a sad state of affairs that every Jewish institution in Germany, be it a school or a synagogue or a community center, has to be protected by the police. I prefer the police to be there while that is necessary, but I dream of a time when that is not necessary anymore. On the other hand, there are now 120,000 Jews in Germany. So there is, again, a thriving Jewish life in almost every German city. It's something that has been coming back for some time. We cannot take it for granted. We must be very grateful for it. And we must make sure that it is well protected and respected by everyone in the community. Finally, on that subject, your views are record and well known. Uh, in fact, you uh, some time ago said, quote, anti-Semitism is a poison. Wherever it exists, mm -hmm. Jewish women and men cannot live in security and peace, and hence we must act. So, I must ask, is it not a terrible indictment on Germany that almost 78 years after the defeat of Nazism, it is still necessary, as you said, that Jews and their property have to be guarded? to have this subject high on your government's agenda? Indictment, I don't know. Is it sad? Yes. No doubt about that. But I'd rather have my country and my government have this high on the agenda than look away. I can tell you, no one's looking away. It is not treated as unimportant when anti-Semitic remarks are being made, anti-Semitic exhibits are being shown in art shows. People see it. They raise the alarm, it becomes a huge issue of discussion, so it is not something that goes unseen. That's maybe step one 
if you want to root it out. You have to, to see it, you have to talk about it, you have to make sure that people know that it's wrong. I think Germany is doing what needs to be done. I now want to talk about a few other matters. You told me that you would prefer to talk on subjects about Germany, but Germany is a member of NATO, so to allow Swedish and Finland's application for membership of NATO, all 30 NATO countries must ratify the application. 28 have done so, including Germany. Hungary is expected to sign this month, But President Erdogan of Turkey is using it as a carrot and in return requesting extradition of Turkish dissidents to face trial in Turkey. He also wants Finland and Sweden to change their definition of terrorism to allow arms exports to Turkey. Turkey is a signatory to the Convention of Human Rights and there are also questions about their adherence. Their extradition request is not based on the rule of law but on political considerations. They asked Finland for six Kurds, members of the PKK, Kurdistan Workers' Party, and also six followers of opposition leader Fethullah Gulen, whom the USA refused to extradite, and from Sweden for a journalist who allegedly insulted President Erdogan. And now Turkey's latest objection concerns this unfortunate diplomatic incident outside the Turkish embassy in Stockholm, where the Swedish politician Rasmus Paludan publicly and foolishly burned a copy of the Koran, and that, of course, has complicated matters. Both Sweden and Finland base extradition on the rule of law rather than political considerations. What is Germany's position to Turkey's requests that holds up the Finnish and Swedish applications, which has been labeled by some as blackmail. I'm sorry, Mr. Bingham, I'm not privy to the current situation of talks between Sweden and Finland and Turkey. I'm simply the wrong person to ask. What I can tell you is that for Sweden and Finland, after many, many years of staying out of NATO, to want to be members of NATO and to push towards NATO membership, it is a tremendous strengthening of NATO, which we in Germany wholeheartedly welcome. It is the outcome of, of course, the Russian war of aggression against Ukraine, without which this perhaps would not have happened. So if Mr. Putin thought that he would weaken NATO by violating every international rule and the sovereignty of Ukraine, what really he did was to strengthen NATO. But with respect to Turkey, it's not a secret that the German government has for many years been talking about human rights deficits in Turkey. This is something that we have often taken up with the Turkish government. So I really hope this can be solved. According to a joint forecast published by leading economic institutes, Germany is set to enter a recession this year with a decline in GDP. Do you see it that way? Well, this was forecast for 2022 already, and it hasn't happened. I think we're in the process of getting through this winter. The German economy has shown itself to be fairly resistant and fairly resilient. You mentioned the war in Ukraine. It's continuing now without an end in sight. And so far, Germany has provided Ukraine with $500 million or more in aid. And Ukrainian refugees receive, I believe, weekly or monthly payments. We're soon coming to the end of winter, when Ukraine needs to change from a defensive posture to take the initiative and mount an offensive. 
For that they required different weaponry. Germany was adamant not to give consent for the German-made Leopard tanks being supplied to Ukraine by any country who has them or to release any of their own. But pressured especially by Poland to unblock its refusal to allow such tanks to be supplied to Ukraine, the German Defense Minister Boris Pistorius has surrendered to the pressure and Germany will send 14 Leopard tanks to Ukraine. Was Chancellor Schulz influenced by the US decision to send their Abram tanks to Ukraine or is Germany embarking on an even more assertive path in Europe to the detriment of its economy or is it the hawkish influence of Boris Pistorius? Okay, many questions. I'll try to answer most of them before we get into the specifics because we now start talking about the war. It is very important for me to remind your listeners of what's really happening there. Because in Israel, you don't hear too much about this war. Europe is much closer. But also that we look over our shoulder to Russia and Syria. Yes, I just want to make sure that people remember what's really going on. Russia invaded Ukraine. The Russian aggression was based on nothing but propaganda, lies, fake news and neo-imperialist design. And since then, Russia has committed war crimes on a daily basis, killed tens of thousands of people in Ukraine, abducted Ukrainian children into Russia, never to be heard of again. So in this situation, Germany reacted. This reaction meant that we reversed our long-standing policy of not sending weapons into military conflict zones or theaters of war. This was the German long-standing policy, which we have reversed. We are now supplying Ukraine with everything from ammunition to air defense systems to various kinds of tanks. And this also includes Leopard 2 tanks. These are major decisions that are not to be taken lightly. This is very substantial. Training of Ukrainian soldiers on these tanks has just begun, I believe, and it's now up to some of our partners in Europe to make good on their pledge. Ambassador, I'm interested if this reversal was due to the fact that you have a new defense minister. I would say this reversal of long-standing German policy was made necessary by events. And Germany, as an important country in the middle of Europe, could not look away. So it was Boris Pistorius. Was it due to the event of having a new German defense minister? Boris Pistorius. Well, German military support for Ukraine had been forthcoming well before Boris Pistorius took office. He is a very strong German defense minister, very resolute, and I welcome that. But the military support for Ukraine had been flowing already under his predecessor. Really, I think it's not too far-fetched to say they're also defending the freedoms of Europe. This is a conflict that should interest every freedom-loving person in the world including in Israel. There was unity at the recent meeting at the Rammstein Air Force Base where billions have been pledged to supply weaponry to Ukraine and even voices from within Germany have warned the government not to divide Europe. Do you think that Chancellor Scholz felt a moral dilemma so as not to be in any way responsible to contribute to the possibility of involving Germany in yet another war? 
I would like to state one thing very clearly. What Germany does in support of Ukraine and what other countries do in support of Ukraine is not involving ourselves in war. We are not fighting a war. We are helping Ukraine exercise her right to self-defense in the face of unprovoked aggression. We are not ourselves fighting a war against Russia. But we are trying to make sure that Russia does not impose her will on Ukraine. And now to your question, Germany is the last country, I think, in Europe, and you know Germany well, that is in any way prone to starting wars. We're not a very warlike country. We have learned our lesson from the deepest abyss of moral catastrophe. Twice. Yes, but I'm particularly speaking about the utter catastrophe we brought over the world and ourselves by the Second World War that the National Socialist Germany brought upon the world. So I think we've certainly learned that lesson. We were for many decades a fairly unmilitaristic pacifist country. I think we've, over the past couple of decades, learned that in the world of today, diplomacy has an important role to play, but so has military preparedness and being strong in defense. The lesson of, of the Russian war in Ukraine has again brought home to us. I understand this rationale to halt Russian expansion and to prevent any fighting on German soil. But how long can Germany sustain this aid before there will be public discontent because of the economic crisis? So far, even the most recent polls say that there is still overwhelming support for helping, supporting and aiding Ukraine. This is a fight that if it's lost, it'll come closer and closer to us. So Ukraine is also fighting, defending Europe's freedom. I just quietly wonder how long Europe can sustain this aid. I mentioned uh, your Chancellor Scholz. On a different subject, what's his sudden concern about gender? I'm certainly no misogynist. Even at 99, I love women, and I believe in equal opportunities for women. But I read that he wants a gender-balanced cabinet. Is the precondition for German cabinet posts no longer qualification, but rather dependent on gender? Interesting question. As most countries in the world, Germany is half male and half female. And we strongly believe that this should be reflected in the positions in the economy, in the academic world, and in politics. There is no shortage of qualified women in German politics. The country was governed for 16 years by a very qualified woman chancellor. When she took office in 2005, there were some voices who were saying, oh, well, we'll see how she's doing. When she left office in December of 2021, everybody in Germany knew that a woman can be a chancellor. It's not a question of sudden love for gender politics when you expect that the cabinet looks like the country. I wonder if the Israeli cabinet of 32 ministers with four or five women totally reflects the contribution that women make to this country. But that's for you to decide. You've been working with Angela Merkel for 11 years. Mm -hmm. So you probably know her best of all, with the exception perhaps of her husband. Why did she leave the post? Because she had been chancellor for 16 years. 
She had been in high positions of German politics for 30 years. She started out as a minister. Then she became her party's general secretary. Then she became her party chairman. And then in chancellor for a grueling 16 years. She always had the wish to leave the scene out of her own decision and not to be forced out. And this was the right time to go. I believe that the far-right-wing party, the AFD, the Alternative for Germany, has 80 seats in the Bundestag, the German parliament. What is their policy regarding Ukraine and what influence do they exercise? I do not regard the AfD as part of the democratic parties of the German Bundestag. I know they were democratically elected, but I see huge democratic deficits in this party. They seem to have more understanding for the Russian position than anybody else outside Russia. This is for them to decide. But this is not the only thing where I'm in opposition to them. Polls give them 13 or 14 percent nationally, with the numbers lower in the West and higher in the eastern part of Germany. So far, they haven't been able to form a government in any of the German states. I really sincerely hope that it'll stay that way. But they are a factor. But if that is so, all your political parties have associated political foundations that get state funding. Notwithstanding the AFD's unsavory extremist right-wing views, should they not also have the same rights for their foundations to use the money to influence public opinion? Why is the BFV, the Domestic Intelligence Service, so concerned? You are a democracy and they are a properly constituted political party with 80 seats in your parliament. Are they not entitled to equal rights? Well, this is for the National Intelligence Service to answer. They have reasons to suspect that members of the AFD are not loyal to the Constitution. When there is suspicion of that, that's when the federal agency looks at people and their actions uh, a little more closely. Now about the ICJ, the International Court of Justice. I find it difficult to understand why after all Germany's continuous support for Israel, you signed the UN resolution sponsored by the Palestinian Authority for the advisory opinion of the ICJ about Israel's actions. We voted with Israel on the question whether it should be submitted to the ICJ to make an analysis of the occupation. We supported a statement that was tabled by the Palestinians after Israel punished the Palestinian Authority for taking this matter to the ICJ. So we were with Israel on the, on the question of whether the matter should be taken to the ICJ, but we thought it was wrong for Israel to punish the Palestinian Authority because it took that step. But is Israel wrong, for instance, to withhold tax money from the PA when that is used to pay to slay, when resident Arabs continually attack innocent civilians and get praise from Abbas? As the German ambassador to Israel, I find personally, and I think this is also our political position, pay for slay a repugnant method. It's not right to be paying families for the terrorist acts committed by their sons, brothers, fathers. 
this is not right. And I think we've been saying this to the Palestinians for a long time, and we, we stand to advocate against this. In the bigger picture, I think that Israel has an interest in not weakening the Palestinian Authority because these are the interlocutors that Israel needs for all matters of security coordination, which I think is as important to Israel as it is to the Palestinians. And also, we hope that someday it will be possible to not only speak about security coordination, but to speak about political steps to solve the conflict, because we strongly believe that this conflict cannot just be left untouched. It cannot just be managed economically. It requires political creativity and courage on both sides to really take it from the status quo into an evolution that leads towards two states coexisting peacefully and with security guarantees for Israel. I say this as a friend who has the interest of Israel's security at heart. I understand that, but you know as well as I do, Ambassador, and so does your government, that the whole dispute is not about the Palestinian state side by side with Israel in the so-called West Bank and its capital in Eastern Jerusalem, as they claim. Otherwise, it could have been settled long ago on several occasions with Prime Minister Barak and, of course, certainly Prime Minister Olmert who offered them almost everything they asked for. It is they who refused. It's about the lie that the whole area existed way from ancient history as a Palestinian state with all the necessary infrastructure and that there was never an official Jewish presence here. It all started with the imagination of the Egyptian Yasser Arafat who started his Palestinian nationalist movement in 1964. By the way, when the West Bank was illegally occupied by Jordan from 1948 to 1967, after the British relinquished the mandate, where was the outcry by the international community then? And in all these matters, as well as in internal affairs of our government, the U.S. Ambassador Tom Knight said repeatedly that they have no right to tell Israel what to do, yet Germany plainly does so. How do you answer that? You're saying that I, the U.S. Ambassador, who is a dear colleague and friend, says that the United, that States, the United States has no right, he says okay. it repeatedly, to tell Israel what to do. Well, it's not about telling Israel what to do. It is about being a friend and ally of Israel, and I think that is as true for the Americans as it is true for Germany. And as a friend and ally, I think you do advise, you do make your position clear, and I know that the Americans do that in no uncertain terms. It's not about telling anyone what to do, giving instructions or preaching. No, none of that. But as friends, we have a position, and also as members of the international community, we have a position regarding international law. International law has a position, and a very clear one, on the state of the occupied territories, the Palestinian territories, the West Bank, whatever you want to call it. It is looked at as occupied territory uh, by mm -hmm. the international law. And I know that in Israel, this is neither the terminology that you prefer, nor the political view, but this is not a German invention. It's something that you find in many UN resolutions, and this is the basis 
for most European countries and also for the United States and when, for and our when, policy towards Israel and the Palestinians. And when Jordan occupied illegally this area of the West Bank for, I think, some 16 years, nobody cared. Where was the outcry? To solve the problems of today, I think you need to know history. You need to know what was tried at what time and who repudiated it, who refused to go for a certain solution. But at the end of the day, this generation of politicians on both sides is asked to come up with something new. There's no point in saying, oh, it's not worked in 2002 and it didn't work in 97 and it, it was all wrong in 1967. You have to make fresh starts unless you find that the present situation is satisfactory. I don't think it is satisfactory to the Israelis and I don't think it is satisfactory to the Palestinians. New generations of politicians must make new starts, regardless of what went wrong in the past. While talking about interference in our internal affairs, do you think that Josef Schuster, the president of the Central Council of Jews in Germany, is helping Germany to further Israel-Arab relations by accusing our Minister of Defense, Ben Gvir, quote, to be spiking escalation with Hamas, is that in any way helpful? Does it contribute to peace? There's an old German proverb which fits here. Schuster bleibt bei deinen Leisten. Loosely translated, it means stick to your allotted task. Very fitting. Should your government not have a word with him? I have the highest respect for Josef Schuster, who is the head of the Central Council of Jews in Germany and who's personally and in his work through the institution, has done a lot for making German-Jewish communities thrive again. I will not get in commenting single statements he's made that I haven't really read properly. Josef Schuster has the interest of Jews in Germany at heart, and he is a proven friend of Israel. So he shouldn't interfere, really, making statements of the kind. When a leader of German Jews, or a leader of American Jews who have, of course, a great affinity and a great affection for Israel and a very strong link with Israel. When they look at Israel and make statements on where this country that is so close to them develops, I don't know if, if they're not within their rights to say something. You know, this is how he expresses his concern. That's for you to decide. And now on another subject. There is, to my knowledge, no diplomatic mission in Berlin of the Catalonia Authority or of Quebec, areas that have long aspired to independence. Therefore, will you not agree with me that the self-styled state of Palestine, in fact the so-called Palestinian Authority, is also not a sovereign entity? So why do you have a Palestinian diplomatic mission in Berlin headed by an ambassador? We don't have an embassy. We have a diplomatic representation office or something, what it's called. He's an, he's we, also, we also have in Ramallah a German representative office and not an embassy. It doesn't help to make comparisons to Catalonia because the situation is entirely different and you know that. It is important that we also hear the Palestinian point of view, that we're in the Palestinian territories, the occupied territories, to bring support towards economic development, humanitarian development, towards democratic development, which, by the way, we believe is very much in, in Israel's interest too. 
but we do not call it an embassy. Am I wrong that, uh, that he has the title of ambassador in Berlin? To be perfectly honest, I don't know. I will let you know. At the time it was upgraded, this status of the Palestinians in Berlin, your foreign office stated that it is, quote, as part of the normalization of relations between the two states. What two states? No, we don't see the Palestinian territories as a state in the sense that Israel is a state. We want them to be allowed to have their own state. We want this kind of political outcome. At the end of a political negotiated process, this is what we advocate for, both on their side as on the Israeli side. Your foreign office talks about two states. We talk about a two-state solution. Normalization of relations between the two countries. Now, I thought it premature, more so in 2012, when that statement was made. Should there not first be normalization between the PA and Israel? And is calling the PA area a country not an encouragement to Mahmoud Abbas to continue his fruitless mission? I don't know what well, mission of his you call fruitless. His claim to uh, establish a you, you may not like it, but the Palestinian wish for a state is supported by Germany, by most European countries. It is supported by the United States. This is not news. We know that for this to happen, there needs to be an unequivocal commitment on the Palestinian side to nothing but peaceful means and the right of existence of the Jewish state that they have already recognized must be the basis, of course, of all negotiations. Why does Germany waste its diplomatic skills on a task that is futile and will never come to pass because neither the PA or Hamas or indeed the Palestinian streets want a two-state solution, one Palestinian state from the river to the sea, an illusion dreamed up by Yasser Arafat. I believe that the great German nation is capable to achieve results, but not with the Palestinian question, perhaps by cleaning up its internal racial strife, particularly anti-Semitism, that is such a scourge. I don't think our efforts here are wasted at all. Maybe let me just restate what our work here is all about. We work for this unique German-Israeli friendship, and we want to make it even deeper, even closer. And we want to every day put our commitment to the Jewish state in concrete deeds. Germany also works for a close and trusting relationship with the Palestinian people. They, too, have every right to live secure and dignified lives in sovereignty, not under occupation. So, as friends of Israel, we continue to advocate for thinking beyond the status quo, beyond occupation, for entering into a political dialogue with the Palestinians. And they, of course, must refrain from violence, and they, of course, must fully accept the existence of the Jewish state. I know you don't think this is realistic, maybe not even necessary. I think it is necessary, and I say this as the representative of a nation that has Israel's interests at heart. To end on a lighter note, there's a question that I ask all Germans. Germany has a thousand varieties of sausages. Which is your favorite? That's a good question. I like something called Braunschweiger Teewurst, which translates as tea sausage from Brunswick. Brunswick being a city in Lower Saxony, east of Hanover. It's got nothing to do with tea, 
It's a sausage that you can spread on bread, and if you eat it with the bread from that region, which is called Gersterbrot, it's just simply delicious. I'm, I'm very fond of it. And finally, I have observed that countries usually send ambassadors to Israel who are of a higher caliber in their respective foreign service, often followed by the most important ambassadorial posts. At the end of your term here, what would be your preference, Washington or London? At the end of my term here, I will be in 2026, I will be 66 years old and go into retirement. So this is not for me a stepping stone to another illustrious ambassadorial post. I will try to make the most of my time in this country, which I love, which I would like to see secure and happy and united. And it's an incredible privilege and honor to be here representing my country in Israel. Nothing better could have happened to me professionally. But you must have plans for your quote-unquote retirement. No, I'm not a believer in making plans. I'm a believer in grasping the opportunity when it's there. Any final thoughts? It's important to me as a German ambassador here to make the most of the diversity of this country, to reach out to, of course, all parts of Jewish society in this country, also to reach out to the 21% Arab Israelis, who are an incredibly interesting part of society. I want to find out more about Haredim society and speak to more of them because I think there are also lots of shades of grey inside the Haredim society. They're not all the same as they're sometimes viewed from outside. So this is the diversity of this country is what fascinates me, what I think is the strength of this country. I'd like to spend my time exploring this and strengthening German ties to all parts of Israel. Great. Mr. Ambassador, thank you for facing the microphone of Walter's World. It wasn't easy. And I appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Thank you for taking so much time and for your interest. If you feel that you want to comment on what you heard today, write to walter.israelnationalradio, one word, at gmail.com, where you will always get my personal reply or place your comments in the appropriate place below some pic on the Walters World page on our website. Thank you for listening. Until next time, this is Walter Bingham wishing you a peaceful and safe week. And please don't forget that your elderly neighbours may be very cold in this inclement winter weather all over the Northern Hemisphere, so please make the effort to call on them to see if they're all right. They might even be Holocaust survivors. Thank you. Goodbye. If you love Israel News Talk Radio, then you'll love our Facebook page. We keep you up to date on what's happening in Israel, plus little surprise treasures that we don't share on the radio. Go now to follow us on Facebook, Just look for the Israel News Talk Radio Facebook page and don't forget to subscribe and follow us by clicking on the like button. We post great stuff there that you'll want to share. Israel News Talk Radio on Facebook and Israel News Radio on Twitter. (laughs) 
If you're hearing this message, everyone else can too. Advertise with Israel News Talk Radio and get your message out to people. We'll build a personalized package for you. Contact advertising at israelnewstalkradio.com. Straight talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Hey, this is Jake in Anchorage, Alaska, and I love listening to all the super interesting interviews and up-to-date information on what's happening in Israel. Hello, this is Anna King, originally from London, now living in Israel. And what can I say? Israel News Talk Radio is my cup of tea. My name is Bhaskar. I'm from India, and I love listening because you get to know the truth and wonderful voices from this lovely country. Mom! Okay, wait a minute. Hi, this is Chava Dots, and I'm calling from the rolling hills of Malaya Dumin, just north of Jerusalem. I always listen to Israel News Talk Radio to get all the latest news and commentary and to keep me up to date every day. This is Sarah Dots from Malaya Dumin, and I'm 12. I wish Israel News Talk Radio was boring so my mom wouldn't listen to it all the time. Mom! You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. News, opinion, and more. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. 